in this series. I think this is actually the longest series I've ever preached. And, uh, and I, I know this. There's a lot more that can be said about the soul. There's a lot more that could be said. Um, but f- when I started this series, I said, you know, we're going to go until the Lord says stop. And, and a couple of weeks ago, I got that sense of the Lord saying, okay, it's time to land that plane and we're going to move on. There's actually uh, some things that the Lord's laid on my heart for uh, this fall season as we move towards Christmas and uh, a new series that we'll be jumping into in a couple of weeks. But today we're going we're gonna to land this plane. We're going to conclude our series on the prosperous soul. You know, we've been talking about the fact that your soul is the most important part of who you are. It's the most important part of who you are. I think sometimes we, we feel like our bodies are the most important part of who we are because it's the part of us that we see, right? And Anyone know what I'm talking about? And it's the part of us that, that feels pain. It's the part of us that when you get out, out of bed in the morning, right, there's all aches and pains. Can anyone relate? Right? Yeah, you're like, oh, man, I've, every now and again, I'll, I, well, you know, Megan likes to have lots of pillows on our bed, and, uh, and I can only sleep with one pillow, but there's sometimes I'll get in bed, and I'm just so tired, I don't move one of the pillows, and so I kind of sleep with my head all, you know, kind of kinked this way or crooked, and then I'll wake up in the morning, and then I just know, oh, I should have moved that pillow, and my neck hurts. It's the part of us that, 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 that's tangible, and so we put so much emphasis on it, and it's not that it's not important, but it's not the most important part of who we are. In, in other circles, there's an emphasis on, on intellect and information and academia, and yeah, you know, the most important part of who you are is your brain, and feeding your brain and learning and gaining knowledge, but it's not the most important part of who you are. It's your soul. Because it's your soul that takes your, your physical body and your intellect and your emotions and your will and your past and your presence and your relationships and your work and all of these things in your life and integrates them into a functional whole. It, your soul is the part of you that communes with God, has relationship with God. When you think about, oh, I, I have a, a relationship with God, I, I, I talk to God, I'm walking with the Lord, right? In, in Christian circles, we talk about our walk, right? You ever wondered what that really means? Like, it's it just, oh, how's your walk? Well, it's doing all right, I think. Left, right, let, no. My, my walk, it's, it's the soul, it's your soul that is communing with the Lord and, and have, on this journey with the Lord. And so, because it's the most important part of who we are, if we neglect it, we suffer. If we neglect it, we don't pay attention to our souls. Things can go really, really, really wrong really quick, quickly. As a friend of mine says, it goes sideways. Things go sideways. And you feel it on the inside. You know what I'm talking about? In life, when things aren't going the way they're supposed to go, at least the way you think they're supposed to go. Or everything looks good on the outside, yet inside there's just kind of a, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Anyone relate to that? You get up in the morning and you think, oh, everything should be okay, then why do I feel? It's because your soul is struggling. Maybe your soul's not healthy or things are not integrated. And so we have to pay attention to the health of our soul. The Bible tells us that God wants our souls to prosper in 3 John 1. 
John writes those words. I, I pray that, that, that you prosper in all things and that you be in good health just as your soul prospers. And as your soul goes, so goes the rest of your life. And so we have to pay careful attention to what's happening on the inside of us. So this morning, I want to conclude this series with, with this, that the soul needs a future. We've talked about all different kinds of needs of the soul. We've talked about shame. Uh, we've, we've talked about being integrated. We've talked about uh, hope. We've talked about relationship. We've talked about all of these different things. And again, if you want to go back and listen to some of these messages, uh, you can do that uh, online or on the app. But today we're going to focus on the soul needs a future. I remember when I was a kid, uh, the first time I took one of those aptitude tests, probably like junior high, maybe high school, where they give you this test and then they suggest all of these different career paths. Anyone remember that? They're like, okay, this is... Now, now here's the thing. As, as I've gotten older, I realize when I was a teenager, and especially as I've had teenagers of my own, you were at the least prime position of your life to make decisions about what you're going to do with your future. Yet we put a piece of paper in front of kids and say, hey, fit, answer these questions, and now we're going to tell you what you should do with your life. And I don't even remember what the paper said. There was a whole bunch of suggestions Right, and I think it's like, you know, at the end of the day, you feel like someone's just kind of making money off this deal, right? And you're just getting kind of used in the process. You know, as a kid, you don't, you think about your life and it just seems like it's eternity. It's way out there. Like adulthood, well, it's just never going to happen. Or you sit as a kid in a classroom, you go, I can't wait till I'm an adult and I have a job. Right? Any, anyone relate to that? And then you get a job and you're like, I wish I was a kid. I wish I was a kid. I wish I could just go to school and play sports, and, right? And homework doesn't seem so bad all of a sudden. But when you're little, your perspective of the future is so skewed, and you can't even comprehend the idea that one day you're going to be old. That one day you might lose your hair. <laughs> oh, man. Prematurely at that. It all seems so distant. This year I celebrated my 45th birthday. Right? Now, now if, if average life expectancy holds, I'm halfway through. That's a sobering thought. Now all of a sudden, right, there's, there's as much time ahead as there was behind. And I feel very differently, differently to what I did when I was in 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th grade. Now all of a sudden there's this urgency. Or, or, right, the first time you have a conversation with a financial planner, or it's, you get a job and they start talking retirement, and you're like, oh, retirement's like just wait. Now, all of a sudden, retirement's a real thing. And are like checking accounts and making sure that we're set up for the future. And we start realizing that life is limited. That these lives that we live, these bodies that we have from the moment that we're born are in a process of decay, that every one of us, every one of us will live our lives in this body and at some point this will end. This shell will die. This container, this vessel will be done. But what will continue is my soul and is your soul. And that is why your soul is such a critical part of who you are. You see, your soul needs a future, but not in the way that you think. 
when we talk about the future in this world, in this life, we're so limited in our thinking. We're so restricted. We think about our future in decades. But God doesn't look at our lives in years or in decades. He looks at our lives in light of eternity. In light of eternity. We all know Jeremiah 29, 11, or at least most of us are familiar with this. If you've been around church at all, we heard it in worship this morning, right? God says this, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That God has a future for you. What we miss in this passage is that God speaks these words over the children of Israel as they were going into 70 years of captivity. Not on the back end, on the front end. Can, can I suggest, because 70 years is kind of, right, that's, like when you think about your life, you got like 70 good years. After 70 years, like, you're not really running marathons. Like, there's always that, like, that nun who's like 85 who's running a marathon. That's not normal, right? The person who, like, smokes a cigar, drinks, uh, you know, smokes a cigar, drinks a, uh, a glass of wine, and eats all the chocolate they want, and they're 115 years old. It does, it's not normal. It's not normal. For most of us, at about 70, we're like, hey, we're getting up later. We're going to bed. Like, dinner's at 4 o'clock, Right? <laughs> I'm sorry if you're 70 and you're like, that's not me. Way to go. 70 years. We live 70 years of captivity in these bodies until we join the Lord in eternity. God says, I know the plans I have for you. And in the midst of this life, yes, God has good stuff for us. But church, we have to break out of a thinking that says, this is all there is. Because it's not. And if we live that way, we will squander this life and miss the things that are the most important to our souls and to eternity. You see, you were and I was created for eternity. That God has put eternity in our hearts, every single one of us. God has put eternity in our hearts. And we know that in the Garden of Eden, sin broke that. Adam and Eve were not designed with an expiration date. It was only after sin that their years were numbered on this earth. But in the garden, they were designed to live for eternity with God. And because of that, sin is in our hearts. It's a part of our initial design. We are created in His image for eternal fellowship and relationship with the Godhead. That's the thing that, that affects our soul. And where's that, that, that longing, that yearning for more in our lives? That's what that is. That's what that is. The problem is, is when we don't have a relationship with God, we try and fill that yearning and longing with other stuff. And temporal stuff will never satisfy an eternal longing. Let me say that again. Temporal stuff will never satisfy an, an, an eternal longing. And so we have to change our perspective, change the perspectives, not just of our minds and our thinking, but of the posture of our soul and say, God, help me to live in eternity. See, this isn't all there is. It isn't. And I'm so thankful for that. It's just a beginning. It's just a beginning. Pastor Wayne Cadero 
talks about this. He says that, that if you were to take a, a piece of string and stretch it from the front of this room to the back of the room and, and just get it as tight as you could, and you would take like a really fine point on marker and just mark a little line on that string, that line representing, that'll mark, that'll scratch, representing your life, and that line not even beginning to represent what eternity is. Starts putting in perspective. Now listen, we can get a little bummed out by that, right? I, I, let's be honest. I think about that and I'm like, huh. Because my flesh wants to default to my flesh. See, what, what Satan said to Eve in the garden is, this isn't enough, there's got to be more. And that lie turned around on them. And that lie is still being perpetrated where people believe that this is all there is. But the reality, there is more. And that little scratch representing our lives, now that scratch is meaningful, not just to us, but to God. That he chose for you to be knit together in your mother's womb in this season, in this place, to be born where you were, to be the gender that you are, to live in the place that you are, to have the relationships that you do, to have the marriage that you do, to have the children that you do, to have the call and the ministry that you do in your life. It's, it's extremely important to him, but it's not all there is. I mentioned last week we were talking about David and, and his son with Bathsheba after he was born died. And we look at that and go, oh, how can he be a loving God? How can he be a loving God if he allows a child to die? See, the thing is, God's perspective is eternal. And, and our life is temporal. And when we value things simply through a temporal perspective, God looks really, really mean and cruel. But when we understand eternity, it's a whole different story. That God's grace and His mercy and His justice and His loving kindness are forever. Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in the midst of a changing world, can we agree the world is changing? In the midst of a changing world, Jesus doesn't change. And we have access to that. Our souls have access to that. See, we can get caught up in the stuff of this life, and let's be honest, it can mess us up. Jesus, though, tells us something different. He says in Matthew 6, 19, Don't store up treasure for yourselves on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying your soul is the most important part of you, your heart, the center of who you are. And, and what your heart treasures, or where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. It's going to be reflected in the things that are most important in your life. So what is that treasure? When Jesus starts speaking about treasure and starts talking about heaven and eternity and, and God's kingdom, what is he talking about? Well, he's obviously not talking about money and he's not talking about possessions and he's not talking about titles or prestige because those things don't matter in the kingdom of God. 
He's talking about your soul, and he's talking about the relationships that you have. That's it. That's what you get to take to heaven with you. That's what you get to take into eternity beyond this life, is your soul and your relationships. I I always kind of chuckle when people have this idea of heaven where it's like the, right, you get your wings. You get your wings and you get a harp and you sit on a cloud, right? Let's be honest, that just sounds boring. I don't want a harp, right? Now, to be able to fly, that'd be kind of cool. Um, but, but there are angels and you're not going to be one, right? I don't know where that entered our theology. There, there are a set amount of angels and that's done and you're not going to one day become an angel, in fact, the Bible says that we're above. Right? We, have, we have this different kind of relationship with God that the angels actually look at and go, man, I wish we had that. So you're not, you're not going to... And, and, and we get this idea that, that eternity will just be us standing around this throne like, right, like it's some massive concert like, and everyone's in the mosh pit, right? And, and, and then we're just all just praising God for eternity. And we can't fathom that. And even if that is the reality... Right in this in this space, we can't fathom that, so it doesn't seem very appealing. But that's also an incorrect view. It, the Bible tells us that heaven and eternity that there will be jobs to do, we'll have assignments. Jesus said that He's going on ahead of us and He's preparing a place for us, and and that heaven is this beautiful place with mansions and streets of gold, and and we'll have relationships and we'll know each other in heaven. I like that kind of heaven. And so God's saying, don't, don't st- store up treasures in this world because it's a scratch. There's no value to it. And we need that stuff in this life. You need food to eat and clothes to wear, a place to live. You need that. But at the end of the day, it's not what matters the most. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Colossians 3, 1 through 2. Since then, Paul writes, we've been raised with Christ. Set your mind on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, now here's the thing. We interpret this verse and and we get all, set your mind on things above. (laughs) Right? And we get all ethereal and weird about it. Right? You know that person who, like, every conversation, it's just, like, in the clouds. Oh, the Lord God doth say upon... No, just stop. Just be normal for a second. God, God's not saying, and Paul's not telling us here, that, that we have to be kind of just these creepy, weird, like, out-of-our-mind kind of Christians. What he's saying is, there's something that's more important than what you see. And if your hearts are so focused on what's here, you're going to miss the bigger picture. So, so, so pay attention to what's important in God's kingdom. Matthew 16, 24 through 26, Jesus says this. He said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
And he's talking about a couple of different things here, because we, we read this passage and we, we just kind of default to salvation. But it, it's more than that. He doesn't, he doesn't just say, like, the losing of your soul isn't just not getting into heaven. It's deeper than that. It's bigger than that. If you want to live for me, Jesus says, you've got to give it all up. You have to understand that what you have in this life shouldn't have a hold on you. You should have a hold on it. You shouldn't be surrendered to it. It should be surrendered to you so that you can surrender it to God. There is a reason that when we talk about money and giving in church, it's one of the things that kind of rubs people the wrong way in our culture. It's because we're focused on the temporal. We're focused on the here and now. You just want my money. Honestly, no, I don't. And neither does God. He doesn't need your money. Giving financially is one of the things that we can do outside of selling all of our possessions and following the Lord and going and giving and just right giving it all away. When I read Acts chapter 2, and it says that they were together and they sold all their possessions and all, all that they had and they gave to everyone as they had need. They just changed. They went from a temporal to an eternal perspective overnight. And it was just radical. Now, I'm not saying go sell your house and your stuff. But I got to tell you, if God says it, if God says it to you, then what? Are we ready to live that radically because we understand that we were created for eternity? Your soul has a future. It longs for a future. And that part of you honestly wants to break out of the trappings of this world, whether you recognize it or not. Because at the end of our lives, what won't matter before the judgment seat of God is this. God, I, I, I accumulated this much, and I did this much, and I had this many accolades. God says, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed. What I want to know is, what is the condition of your soul? Have you surrendered your life to me? So I want to make two points this morning. The first is this. Eternity starts now. Eternity starts now. Now listen, some of you are thinking, well, actually, Pastor Barry, eternity started, well, whenever eternity started. We don't, it, it never started. It just always has been. But for our purposes this morning, eternity starts now. Eternity is not something that happens when you die, that you step into this next life, right? We call it the afterlife, right? Like, I'm living now, I have a life, and then there's an afterlife. Something else happens after life. The only thing that changes between this life and that life is this goes away. But my soul doesn't skip a beat. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present, fully present. Not that we're not present now, but we'll be fully present with the Lord. And that's exciting. I, I can't wait for that day. Now, I'm, I don't have this, uh, Lord, just take me now. No, I want to I live a full life. I, I want to reach as many people as I can. I want to watch my kids grow up and get married and have, have grandchildren. I want to I enjoy the life that God has for me on this earth. 
But I want to always remember that what he has for me beyond the limits of this life is amazing. And this is just the appetizers. And I like appetizers. But I like a good steak way better. I shouldn't be talking about lunch so early in my message. Eternity starts now. Matthew 3, 1 through 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. A better way to say that is, Repent, for the kingdom of God is, is here now. The, the way that that's translated, that word near, is not like he's passing by, like we're in the building and, and the kingdom of heaven drove down Lorraine. Right, and it's just kind of nearby. What he's saying is something that was intangible to us and incomprehensible to us is in our midst that Jesus is here and he has ushered in his kingdom into this world. The kingdom of heaven is here. Eternity starts today. You are already living in eternity. Now, we know this. It doesn't matter whether or not you know Jesus uh, in regards to whether or not you will live for eternity. We're eternal beings. We were designed for eternity. The, the difference is this, a relationship with Jesus gives us access to living eternally in his kingdom. The life apart from Christ at the end of this life, without a relationship with Jesus Christ, will spend eternity in hell. Also not something we like to talk about a lot. But at the end of the day, it should be the thing that should fire us up. The idea that there are people in my life right now who, if they died today, would not spend eternity with me in heaven. It should bother us. It should compel us. It should motivate us. It should break our hearts. Eternity starts now, and so we're living in this tension between this world that we live in and this kingdom of God, and, and Jesus at the cross and at the resurrection ushered in His kingdom, gave access to us to His kingdom, and said, you can be a part of this. You can be a, a co-heir, a son and a daughter. It's not like you just get in like by the skin of your teeth and you kind of scrape in just oh man, I just kind of made it in. He says, no, I bring you into the throne room and I declare you to be one of my children, to be a prophet, a priest, and a king. You are already living in that reality. Now you just might not know it. Tell the person next to you, you are a king or a queen or a princess, depending on who's sitting next to you. And here's the thing, the brokenness of this world bothers us. It bothers me when I hear stories of lives that are being wrecked. It bothered me when I read the news about Indonesia and this earthquake and people who, whose lives were lost and families who've been separated. It bothers me to hear about what's happening in Washington, D.C. And the train wreck, the train wreck that we see in front of us in our government it should bother us because it bothers the heart of God. See, we're, we're created in His likeness and we carry in, in, in us the same things, that, that the same compassion and the same brokenness over this world. But we also have to remember this. 
See, because we can get so focused on this world that we forget about eternity. And remember, God has this eternal perspective that helps keep things in check. And so, yes, the things of this world matter. And yes, we need to pay attention to what stirs in our hearts. But we still need to make sure that it does not control our lives. Our lives are to be controlled. Our thinking is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Our lives submitted to the power of God working in us. But we have to develop an eye for eternity. We just do. Church, we are lacking as a church, as the big C church, the global church, I would even say, that we miss eternity. We miss seeing the way that God sees and we rarely ask for it. What if as a body, as a church, we started saying, God, give us your perspective. Help us to see people the way you see people. Help us to see our society the way you see it. See, because we bring our personal preference and our brokenness into this overlap in eternity, and we start determining what's right and wrong and never actually pay attention to what God is saying. And man, we get fired up, don't we? We get fired up, spend half an hour on social media. We get fired up, and we forget to say, God, what's your perspective? What are you trying to say? What is your thought about this? How do you feel? And then how do you want me to respond with eternity in mind? It's why one of the reasons that it's so easy for us to have enemies To his believers say, you know what, there's just people I will not associate with or will pray things. I have heard people pray things like, God, would you just take that person out? Are you kidding me? Christ died for them. that, That is your preference. And it's broken. God says, no, I want that person to come to salvation. I want them to know me. And so we need to remember that we are living in eternity right now and start developing a mindset that says, God, I want to see my future the way you see my future, beyond what the limitations of this life are. God, help me see how this carries into eternity, that when we interact with people, that we, as we develop relationships, as we walk out God's call on our lives, that we recognize it's not just for this lifetime and then something completely else happens after we die. That what we do now carries into eternity with us, into God's kingdom with us. That's a game changer. It should be. It should change the way that we live. Second thing is this, and you've heard me say this many, many, many times. It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. Your soul needs a future, and that future isn't stuff. That future is relationship. That future is relationship. Our mission as a church... Our vision is to help people thrive in Christ. The way we do that, our mission is this. We help people thrive in Christ by knowing God, growing as disciples, serving like Jesus, and going into all the world to reach others. That knowing part, that number one, knowing God, knowing 
God. It is all about relationship. And as a church, it informs everything that we do. See, we need to know God, we need to know ourselves, and we need to know others. And I'm not talking about, oh yeah, I met them once. Or I I managed to remember someone's name. Can we just agree most of us are not good at remembering names? Right? There's just always that awkwardness like, I can't remember their names. Yeah, they probably can't remember your name either, so it's okay. (laughs) Just ask. Do it all the time. I'll just see people. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Just remind me of your name. And, And most of the time, people aren't offended. Most of the time. Sometimes, like, Megan gets annoyed, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Megan's my wife, by the way, if you're like, you didn't know that. Knowing God, knowing yourself, and knowing others is the key to living a thriving, prosperous life. It's the gateway. It's the way in, because it's the thing that matters more than anything else. It's the thing that has the most value, the most meaning. That we're, we're supposed to know God, to be close with God, to be intimate with God, to understand God because we're made in His image. And I want to know how God works because that will inform me of how I work. How is God wired? What are the things that impacts God? How does God go about making decisions? God makes decisions. God initiates There's a dance that happens with the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as the Father initiates, and and then Jesus agrees with him. He's the agreement, and then the Holy Spirit empowers for it to be carried out, and the three of them, not, not lording over each other, they just have this perfect, humble service relationship where they dance with each other, and it's beautiful, and we get to partake in that. And then we try it out in our lives and we're stepping on toes and God says, it's okay, let's try it again. Let's try it again. And we start moving towards reflecting His glory in our lives in the midst of relationship. You know, the Bible says that the world around us reflects the glory of God. Right? It's, it, that, that God is revealed in creation. But that stuff's all going to go. The place where people see Jesus is in us. We bear the image of God. And so knowing who God is and understanding His kingdom and and knowing that His kingdom is all about relationship should inform everything we do in our lives, not just as a church. Because this organization, Thrive Church, the Glendora Foursquare Church, is just that. It's an organization. You are the church. You are the people of God. And knowing God should be the number one priority in your life. It's the thing that your soul longs for more. When we talk about your soul needs a future, that future is this. God, I want to know you tomorrow more than I know you today. God, I want to be closer to you tomorrow than I am today. God, I want to be more intimate with you tomorrow than I am today. That's the future my soul longs for. You need to know yourself as you become, as you, as you get to know God, you start understanding yourself. You see, His kingdom is all about relationship, but this world is a kingdom of me. God's kingdom is a kingdom of us. 
This world and, and what Satan has introduced into this world is a kingdom of me. It's about, it's about me and my needs and what I want. And the reality is we all just start sounding like two-year-olds running around stomping our feet. You cut me off. You took my parking space. Right? You looked at me with the wrong tone of voice or face. And we just stomp our feet and we have a little fit. You offended me. Now understand, there's real hurt that exists in the world. But I do believe this. A lot of what we deal with is immaturity. It's a lack of maturity of God's people saying, God, I want to I grow in you. And we become myopic. It becomes about me and what I can accumulate and how things reflect on me. You ever heard people like, like give themselves little compliments? That, like they're sharing information, but what they're really saying is, hey, check out what I've done, right? Like we, the reality is we all do that. That's not a part of God's kingdom. Jesus said, if you, if you want to be great in my kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, after three years of walking with them and teaching them and loving on them and correcting them and being like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? You just asked that question, really, Peter? And being frustrated with them. At the very last, he gets down on his knees and he washes their feet. Peter says, no, 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 no. You're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, if, you, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And he says, and wash everything. And Jesus says, no, you're already clean. I'm trying to demonstrate that my kingdom is not like the kingdom of this world. My kingdom is about humble service. So stop promoting yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. But we can get myopic and we just start seeing what's in front of us and what we feel like matters the most. And God says, no, let me lift your head and change your perspective and show you what's down the road. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And it's not just so that tomorrow things will be a little bit better than today. He says, I'm looking all the way down past this life and into eternity. And that the hope and the future I have for you, it's awesome. It's amazing. It declares my love for you. And as we understand God's heart, we understand ourselves more. You need to know yourself and not in a self-help kind of way, right? I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. <laughs> Some of you get the reference and that's okay. Well, Saturday Night Live for you, going back a ways. It's not just about you just encouraging yourself and telling yourself how awesome you are. It, it, that's not knowing yourself, but being laid bare before God and saying, God, I am a broken vessel. Would you heal me? Al allowing him to tend to the brokenness in our souls. And as those two things happen, and as those relationships, our relationship with God and our understanding of ourselves deepens and our souls are healed, we are now in a place where we can really connect with others. And love on them well. Agape love, unconditional love. You see, because in God's kingdom, people matter more than stuff. People matter more 
than stuff. You know that annoying neighbor that you have? Okay, hopefully you don't have one, but maybe you do. Maybe that coworker that drives you nuts, you know that they matter to God more than stuff. 2 Corinthians 5.16, Paul writes this, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. By the way, let me just stop here. We've read that passage before, right? If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. And guess what we do? We make it about us. You see how it even just kind of seeps into the church. What does it mean for me? And God's going, no, this isn't about you. See, You'll know if this is really happening based on how you treat other people. So we don't regard them from a worldly point of view. We once regarded Christ that way, but we do so no longer. If any is is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You catching on that reconciliation is a big deal here? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why are you an ambassador? Because you're not a citizen of this world. Ambassadors don't live in their country. They live in another country. And they're there as emissaries, as representatives of the country that they're really from. And God says, you're an ambassador because you're designed for eternity. You're a part of eternal kingdom. You just happen to live here right now. You know that in any country, when you go to the the embassy, the property where that embassy is built is considered to be the property or the land of the nation that you're from. So when I'm in Kenya and I go to the U.S. consulate and I step over that gate, I am now on U.S. soil. Think about your home in that regard. Come on, church, you're an ambassador. That means that the property where your home resides doesn't belong to Glendora or Azusa or Covina. It belongs to the kingdom of God. And then when people step into your home, they have asylum from the the, the mess of this world and they have an opportunity to step into eternity and get a taste of the glory and the love of God in your life. But if I just see people through a human temporal perspective as annoying or that person, man, that person drives me nuts or that person, blah, blah, and we fill in and I'm affected and now I'm just concerned about me, we miss the opportunity and we squander our role as ambassadors. So let me ask you, Could it be that your job is less about the paycheck and more about the people you work with? And could it be that your education is less about it requiring knowledge so you can be successful and more about being equipped to impact lives? And could it be that God placed you in your community to demonstrate God's love more than he just wants to make you comfortable? And could it be that God put you in this church 
Not so that you could be fed, but that you could be a blessing. And allow his gift and call in your life to be trained up, released, as as Paul said to Timothy, fan into flame the gifts that are in you by laying, laying on of hands. Which was the word that Pastor Tom shared in my ear during worship this morning. That God wants to fan into flame the things that are in you from an eternal perspective so they have an impact in the temporal. And this is the place to fan it into flame. Could it be? My prayer churches, as we come to the end of this series, that we start realizing that our souls were not designed for this life, that they were designed for eternity, to know God and to be known by God, to walk with Him in intimacy, and then to impact every single life that God would bring across our path, to start seeing people not from a worldly perspective, but from an eternal kingdom perspective. I would venture to say that this could radically, radically change your life in a very practical way. There are men and women throughout history who said yes. Whether it was right where they lived or going around the world as missionaries. Men and women who have said, yes, God, I want to live for eternity, not for the temporal. And God says, okay, I want to meet you in that. Let's go. Let's do this. See, the prosperous soul is not about what you accumulate and what you get and how good you look. The prosperous soul is all about relationship. It's all about eternity. And we stand together. We invite the worship team to come. Father God, I pray this morning that what you have deposited in our hearts, what you have deposited in our soul by your word this morning, God, that the enemy would have no place to rob, to steal, to kill, destroy, to take it away. God, we invite you to speak to us. Give us your eyes to see. Give, your, give us your heart of compassion. Lord, I pray this week that the encounters we have would not be the same as what they were last week. That the way that we are with people, Lord, would not be the same as what it was before. And God, I thank you that as you are healing us and bringing wholeness and restoration to our souls, Lord, that the evidence of that is, Lord, how we love others. God, I thank you this morning that you care about our brokenness. You care about the things that haven't gone right in our lives. You care about our wounding. Jesus, you went to the cross because of those things. You shed your blood so that our sin would be forgiven and your body was beaten so that we would be made whole. And so we give you praise for that. But God, I thank you that salvation and the cross is not about me, that it's about your kingdom. And so God, I pray that as you invite each of us into a partnership with you, walking, Lord, through this life with our eyes set on eternity, God, that it would change the way that we live. That it would change the way 
that we live every day. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. Let's worship together as we close. Our prayer team will be available at the back. If you'd like to pray with someone this morning for any, any need whatsoever, we'd love to partner with you in prayer. Let's worship together.